Hi, I'm Jason Karn, Total HIPAA's Chief Compliance Officer. On today's episode of HIPAA Talk, I spoke with David Smith. David is a nationally recognized health and welfare benefits compliance expert. Join us as we discuss projections of HIPAA enforcement efforts by HHS and the new administration, and how this will affect agents and brokers. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us here on the HIPAA Talk podcast. So let's get started. This is something we love to do with you in the beginning of the year, just sort of get a lay of the land, see what's going on. And we've had a lot of changes coming into 2021. Um, we have a new administration. And so uh, we saw some things on the way out the door with, with, uh, you know, with our last president really, you know, throwing some, some shots and saying that, you know, there was a, um, an article that came out that I saw that said that they were going to give credit to people who were making an effort towards HIPAA compliance, towards security. I wonder if that's really going to stick around. It seems there's a lot of executive orders overriding that and a lot of changes in directions. But what are your thoughts on enforcement? What do you see with the new administration and what things do you think that they'll start focusing on? Well, first, thanks for having me on here. Of course, I'm always glad to be with you, Jason. And I think we've been doing this kind of recording for five or six years now. So it's always good for us to do it. Um, I would say that um, so there's obviously a new administration. And with the beginning of any new administration, there's always a review and refresh. One of the things that President Biden did uh, late last week was he issued an executive order putting on hold any regulations or any other kinds of uh, directives that have been issued in the 60 days prior to him becoming president. So you're right, we saw a number of things out of Office of Civil Rights concerning um, limitations or reductions of liability based on good faith efforts to comply. There was one about the fact that they were gonna waive penalties over online appointment systems. So, I mean, there's a lot of things like that that I think will be reviewed, but I think there's a couple things to keep in mind uh, about this. One of those is that as a general rule, the Democrats have been far more focused on making sure that HIPAA privacy and security protections are enforced the way they were intended. When things changed in 2009, remember that was at the beginning of the Obama administration, they put in place all these statutory rules related to privacy. And then you've also got as president, a man who sat in the Senate for a very long time. And as a Senator at the time, the art of compromise was very important to him. And we've seen in the past um, his involvement in trying to create some perspectives or some solutions that might have been wanted by certain special interest groups. So can you see a world where you're getting slightly better, slightly less stringent rules related to privacy if you're a, a medical research company? Yeah. Doing clinical trials? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I see some doctors and hospitals getting maybe a little more flexibility on things like appointments? Yes. Would I expect there to be some wholesale walking away from the idea of privacy and security being important, especially in the face of breaches? I think that'd be a hard no. I think if anything, they're gonna take a pretty aggressive stand against breaches. And I think that's the part where I think you're really going to see them wanting to to get action, see action, and demanding penalties in the aftermath. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
and we had that most recent attack what was the key i keep wanting to say keystone but it's not keystone it's the solar winds uh, solar winds that's what it was thank you solar winds attack and i think that also um is going to really set the stage for more stringent enforcement um you know some of the other regulatory items that we're looking at right now is even the cybersecurity maturity model certifications that the department of defense is requiring and there's talk that that's even going to expand out to general service contracts across the board it might become a de facto standard for um you, it might be interesting to see if that comes into into the sphere of HIPAA, especially like a level one CMMC where you would have to get certified that you've actually done those basic items to make sure that you have some some um, cybersecurity compliance. Yep, and I can see rules like that being adopted, particularly certain income thresholds, because you know you go back to uh, electronic medical records and when those rules kind of were originally proposed back in two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. But it really took 2010 and later action by the Obama administration to really kind of say to smaller practices, we'll give you money if you implement EMR. So what a number of the carriers and a lot of the large hospital systems have done, is, what they really do is they have so much medical information, but they've been hesitant to be subject to any kind of rules that would create a national standard by which they should keep their information encrypted and everything else. Um, I think hopefully some of this will create those standards because keep in mind standards help compliance, but they don't help consultants. Mm -hmm. And so what consultants say to their clients is, Oh, well, you don't have to do this, 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 and this. And I mean, they want you to follow this standard, but it's wrong here and here. Once you write a letter to complain about that, when ultimately, if you're a tech security compliant, compliance or consultant, you really want to make sure that you're going to continue to have an income stream. And mm-hmm. having a single national standard isn't necessarily good for that. Whereas what you and I do, which is trying to make sure that employers and providers and, and agents and brokers are remaining compliant, a single standard is actually good. We're more trying to react to keeping people aware of it, responsible for it, as opposed to just letting them go. Yeah, that that's a dream world for me because there's so many things that are ambiguous in, within the law and a lot of things we end up interpreting. I mean, I, I jokingly say that HIPAA reminds me of the constitution and that there are many things that are left in generalities because if they wrote it, you know, as a standard and said, okay, everybody has to be encrypted at, at the time, it would have, wouldn't have been 128 um, bit encryption. Quantum computing is, is, you know, once we start to get into that, start seeing, you know, higher encryption uh, keys that are going to have to be used or going to be required to be used for that. I mean, there's so, there's, there's so many things that are evolving right now, but I think back to what you're saying, I mean, you have so many different compliance standards that are going on right now. And many of them are competing in certain, you know, competing sort of overlapping, but then there's different key differences. And it becomes really confusing for these large, large and small providers as to what standards they need to adhere to what really is important. So that's where something like I think a CMMC or cybersecurity maturity model certification would be really helpful because you say, for a basic level, here's 17 controls that you have to meet. And 
a lot of those go a long way to, you know, access control, password protection, encryption, you know, encryption standards, those sorts of things that really, it, it just sets up, I think, somebody for success. Yeah. Well, again, ultimately what we want is people to be aware of it because right now, you know, you and I have talked for years that the only time people become aware of it is when they make a mistake and by then it's too late. Right. Right. When trying to put the horse back in the barn, it's, it is too late. So what are you keeping your eye on in 2021 from a compliance standpoint? I mean, I think it's the ongoing expectation of, of what people will need to do. I think you're going to see more states try and go at the California and New York approach. Um, but again, a lot of it's going to be focused on breaches. And right. I think that's the place where I'm saying to a lot of people, be smart about your process because the breach is where they're going to slap your hand or worse. And you only avoid breaches by having good practices and policies in place to begin with. And right. so it's almost, you know, for a long time, you and I've talked about you need to train your people and you be aware of it and everything else, which is true, but we've done it because of the amorphous threat of something happening because you didn't do training and didn't have policies and procedures. Now what I think they're going to start doing is when they see breaches, mm -hmm. they're going to back up and say, well, now you've, you've messed up and you haven't done this, this, and this. It's kind of like when you get pulled over for, for speeding and they realize your car had been inspected in two years, you don't have insurance on your car. They didn't know that when they pulled you over, but now that they got you, they're going to run the whole gamut of things that they think you might've done. And I think mm -hmm. it's another reason to just be mindful of, good practices, good awareness of what the deal is, will avoid a ton of problems down the road. But by, by, first of all, never having a breach, but also by having a breach, you're prepared for it and you can mitigate the effect of it almost immediately. Yeah, we had a, a client that actually had a, a pretty bad breach. And um, it was interesting going through that process with them because once we started doing an audit on what they had, we realized the vulnerabilities they had and things that we were able to mitigate prior to that. But even if they had followed what we had, if, if we had been able to get in there earlier, we could have staved off a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and that's always fascinating to me when you get in there and you're thinking, why haven't you turned on encryption? You know, you've got, you've got it built into the system or if you're using an, you know, an older system like a windows seven, I mean, that's all the reason as we send, you know, we send out every year about what, you know, end of support for Microsoft is, you know, making sure you're retiring those devices or retiring those operating systems as quickly as possible to get to systems that are modern and can encrypt and it's native and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Last it, it, in the last uh, year, they've really been focusing on records access, which has been interesting. Uh, yeah. And I, I know in the last meeting I went to, they were talking uh, about applications and making sure that people were securing their APIs. Um, and I think they were looking, I, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with breaches, um, especially the fallout with the solar winds hacks, um, how that's going to play out and how that's going to bring people's attention to safety of this data. Yeah. Well, and, and I do think that, you know, the records access question really came down to, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was a, there was a, the random audit stuff that came out maybe three years ago, and they mm -hmm. were focused on just broad compliance analysis. And out of that came the discovery that a lot of, a lot of providers were not 
making records readily available. So I think that's why they've really gone after it. And it's, it's interesting, you know, kind of, uh, it's not political like minds, but at least interest like minds. The biggest, pe- biggest group of people pushing for record access were typically plaintiff's attorneys wanting to get medical records related to MedMal or other things. And they were running into providers not giving those records up. So then you saw them come together and basically uh, that, you know, the Office of Civil Rights under the Trump administration was actively pushing that issue because people weren't able to get access to their own medical records. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do I think they could go through another round of that? Yeah, but I, I really think breaches are go- is going to be where it's at. Right. Right. So, um, did you do we see increased fines in 2020? Yeah, I mean, fines went up in 2020, um, but it was interesting. They all seem to be high dollar fines, no really small offender fines. Um, and then there are a few kind of small companies that had, or small providers that had big number of breaches that got really big penalties. And, you know, I think you're going to see some of that. I, I believe what you're going to see more of now out of, OCR is going to be smaller case fines because they're not just about trying to do headlines. They're trying to increase enforcement. And I think the best way they think to do that is to issue a fine to anybody who violates and then let them argue about it. Right. Yeah. I, I've always thought that for years, because if people think that you're only going to go after the, you know, Stanford hospitals, which has gotten hit a lot of times, or, you know, Columbia University Hospital, or one of those big providers, or even Duke, they're not, then the average provider is not going to, they're going to think, well, they're not going to come after me, or the, you know, the small little insurance agent, they're not going to come after me, they're going to go after Anthem, Um, you know, and that's where I think, you know, even if there were smaller fines, um, that that would have a lot more weight to it. Because if you're looking at a small provider, uh, say a small insurance agent, and he gets hit with a five to $10,000 fine, he's going to, he or she's going to wake up and say, okay, I need to do more. And people around around them are going to say, we need, we need to be better about enforcement, and making sure we're doing the right things. Yeah. So, and I think from I was a actually, competitive perspective, people will do that. Go ahead. Yeah. I was kind of expecting that the carriers would pick would would continue with the pickup because there seemed to be a real flourish in the beginning with the with the blues asking for the attestations. And then we had a couple with um, uh, we had a couple uh, carrier audits that we had to go through with. Yeah. It wasn't the blues. It was. United. Yeah. United. United Health. Yeah. And so we sat in a bunch of those audits. So I was surprised that the carriers haven't, uh, haven't, or we haven't seen them as many. I don't know if you've been seeing those. No, but I think that's another example of where COVID has caused people to, to shift their resources into other areas. And plus, if you're a large carrier like that, um, you know, I know for a fact that the blues here in North Carolina don't want anybody in their office until at least June. Right. So they, you know, all their employees are working from home. And so that kind of causes a lot of that, you know, that kind of work that really I would say is more office centered, be a little more difficult to reach out and actually do. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think, what do you, cause you know, it normally takes a couple of years for, 
these HHS audits to sort of work their way through the courts and then be be released. Since we've had a couple of years of declining regu regulatory pushes, um, do you do you suspect that you know 2021 is going to we're going to see less fines for HIPAA, or do you think it will pro probably hold around the same as we saw in 2020? I think a lot of that really depends on what's pending right now. You know, okay. if you had if you were somebody who had a large you know had a medium-sized breach in the third quarter of 2020, okay. and you were probably hoping and praying that that would get resolved before the 20th of January. Because right. now the likelihood is that somebody new is going to pick up that file or the disposition of the person about what kind of fine they thought they could get their supervisor to sign off on is going to change. Mm -hmm. And I would say that we already see some things that I would call administrative in, in nature that we already see kind of, um, you know, the, the bureaucracy of people, you know, the, you know, the, the civil service people to really already be, had changed their disposition even after the election to be like, okay, you know, we, so we've started seeing a lot more penalties on the ACA reporting side and on the employer not offering coverage side that really started mid-November. And so you kind of see some of that mind shift internally where Six months ago, I couldn't have got my supervisor to sign off on this penalty. Now that supervisor's gone, or they know that their boss's boss wants penalties. Right. So it is that. Interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and see what happens in the next six to 12 months and see what kind of uh, regulatory atmosphere we're, we, we end up in. So, yeah. Um, so at the end of 2019, OCR announced increases in fines for non-compliance, and you you felt like we saw that in 2020, yep. and you, you really felt like they kept that promise going forward? Mm -hmm. I think they kept the promise if they were measuring themselves against the 17 or 18 standard. Do I think that they're anywhere close to what they were in you know 15 and 16? No. But I think that they're going to, I think some of that will continue to come up in the coming 12 months. We hope you enjoyed this episode of HIPAA Talk. If you have any questions or you would like to communicate with our experts, you can find us on Twitter at Total HIPAA or our website, www.totalhipaa.com, or email us at info at totalhipaa.com. Thanks for listening.